Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Thank God. It's great to be here sharing God's word with you uh, again. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're touching God because he came an awful long way to touch you. Amen. He did. God has made a way. He's a way maker. Amen. Can we just say amen at the beginning of this? Can we just settle right now? If you're sitting here and you're wondering, how is, how is this going to work out? How, is there, how am I going to find a way through? How am I going to win this battle? Take a seat. The Son of God has come. Amen. To fight your battles for you. It's good news. Amen. It really is. So let's pray and let's get into the word today. The message I have for you is called Bring Them to Jesus. Bring Them to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I thank you uh, that we have this opportunity again to open up your word, Lord Jesus, in, in, in your house, God, and you've brought us here, and we belong to you, and we belong to each other, Lord, and we thank you for that fact as well, God. We thank you that we are a part of your body, Lord Jesus, tonight, and I just pray, Lord, that the anointing of God would do what only it can do. Holy Spirit, would you just take this word, and would you minister it to your people? Lord Jesus, I pray that you you would help me to rest in your grace. Help us all to rest in your grace tonight, Lord Jesus, so that we can really hear, Lord, the word of the cross, the word of your grace, Lord Jesus, and find encouragement, Lord Jesus. I, I believe that you, you want to encourage us about those people in our lives that need a touch from you, Lord God, that are paralyzed and need a touch. And so I just pray, God, that you would help me deliver what you've put on my heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, bring them to Jesus. Uh, will you turn with me to Mark chapter 2? It's a very familiar story. Mark chapter 2, uh, you can find uh, this account of Jesus forgiving and healing a paralyzed man uh, in, in Mark 2 and in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. It's an amazing miracle and there's loads in here for us tonight. So if you uh, can turn to Mark chapter 2 verse 1. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of context. So Jesus, um, depending on which one of these accounts you read, Jesus is at home. We know that Capernaum was the base of his Galilean ministry. And we know that Capernaum was sort of to the north, just off the coast of the Sea of Galilee, the northern side. And he was based there during his Galilean ministry. And uh, he was preaching in a house and it was packed it was absolutely packed. So we'll just, that's a little sort of painting and let's jump in. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many people were gathered together. So there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Now, what I like about Luke's account of this is that Luke says, and the power of God was there with him to heal. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? So when that word comes forth, God honors it with anointing, with power, with breakthrough. It's the anointing. It's the spirit of God that flows through the word, through that presentation of truth that can bring healing and life. 
Amen. So God loves to sort of rubber stamp his words by, by, by anointing it and by healing people. So anyway, verse 4, when they, could, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit or perceiving in his spirit uh, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So I want to make a quick note here. The only person who said anything up until this point is Jesus. Okay, so the friends and the paralytic have said nothing. And that question or that accusation about Jesus being a blasphemer actually was going on in the hearts of these men. It's amazing. Jesus was reading. Jesus knew the hearts of men. And so um, they questioned him like this. And Jesus says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Other accounts say they marveled that God had given such authority to men. Praise the Lord for his word. So what's going on here? This is a story about ceilings. It's a story about barriers. It's a story about limitations. And it's a story about the grace of God. Hallelujah. It's about the grace of, the God, of God. And um, I want to start by setting the scene here a little bit. We've read the account, but I want you to imagine what it must have been like. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a healing service here in the church, in the sanctuary, God was moving. It was wonderful. Uh, but someone was using a pneumatic drill just in the other building. I don't know if you remember that. It was a pneumatic drill. So God was doing amazing things, breaking through. Thank God. God doesn't need a, a religious sort of atmosphere to move. Amen. He doesn't need that. But anyone, anyway, someone was using a pneumatic drill. And so every now and again, you could sort of hear this kind of sound in the middle of a healing service. I don't want you to imagine the house is packed. Jesus is preaching. The power of God is there to heal. And there is no space anywhere. And so these men who couldn't even get to the door are inspired. Something hits them. Faith grips their hearts and they climb up onto the roof. Now, the roof back in those days would have been flat. And in, in Israel in those days, it would have been nothing to go out on your roof, to walk around on your roof, particularly in the heat of the day or, or whatever. Or sorry, in the cool of the day. So they, Mark says that, these four men came, they brought this man, they laid him down and they began to dig. And this was a construction job, okay? The Bible says that they loosed all the tiles, that the wood and the dauble or whatever they would have used to make these roofs, they dug down. And what I love is that they couldn't see what their faith was achieving. They couldn't see it, right? They couldn't see what it must have been like for Jesus to be preaching. And that first bit of rubble, if you like, fell to the ground. And 
You know, everybody's sort of going like this. And then a bit more rubble falls to the ground. And then there's a steady stream of dust and wood and sticks and clay and whatever until the ceiling gives way and then there's a silence until you start to hear the sound of ropes and swinging and a man is dropped down right into the presence of God. It's amazing. But I want to talk to you today about ceilings and barriers in our thinking. It's important we understand that um, it is possible that we can put limits on Jesus in our thinking. So when we, our view of Jesus is right, our approach to him will be right, okay? Where right belief will unlock the power of the gospel in your life and in my life, but wrong beliefs will lock us out of the power Jesus died to give us, okay? And the reason why this is important is because it is the secret to coming boldly, right? Hebrews 4.16 says that we are to approach the throne of mercy with confidence in time of need. So how do we come boldly? It's all in the approach. How we see the Son of God will dictate how we approach the Son of God. And it's not just to receive mercy for yourself, but mercy for other people. It's important that we see Jesus the right way if we're going to approach him for mercy, for grace, not just for ourselves, but for those around us who need it. Put your hand up if you know somebody who needs a touch from God today. Somebody who needs Jesus. I believe that this is the key to seeking God in trial. I believe this is the key to prayer. I even believe this is the key to evangelism. And it's time to bring the broken to Jesus, even if you've given up on them. Even if you've given, even if you've given up on them. We all know and we all love people who right now might be far from God. And many of us have tried everything to bring them to Jesus. Well, I want you to know that he's willing to touch them. He's willing. We cannot miss that. Okay, so if we're going to continue to bring people to Jesus, if we're going to persevere, if we're not going to give up when the crowds seem to impede our, our route or our pathway to the Son of God, we can have no false ceilings in our view of Him, okay? No false ceilings. He's, he's in our thinking, okay? We can't limit three things. And these are the three things we're going to look at tonight. In our thinking, in our view of the Son of God, when we're bringing people to Jesus, we can't limit the depths of His grace. Hallelujah. Why? So we can come boldly with confidence and faith when it's time for mercy, not just for us, but for other people. And we can't limit the authority of His Word. So we can rest on the Word's power to do what religion can't do and the lives of people we're carrying to Jesus. And finally, we should never limit the extent of his healing so we can see the bigger picture and have right expectations. So three things, the depth of his grace, the authority of his word and the extent of his healing. Let's go. So the depths of his grace because God wants us to approach with boldness and with confidence. Now, in reality, we're all carried to Jesus. I want to make this point. We're all 
paralyzed, we're all crippled by sin, we're all carried to Jesus. Yet there are some who we know, you might know people, they're bound in a particular way. Maybe there's someone in your life, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a son or a daughter or a wife or a husband, a relative or a friend, and they are bound in a way where we need to carry them to the Son of God where they, although none of us would ever come on our own, we need to bring these people to Jesus, okay? We need to not give up on them and continue to petition God for these people, amen? So uh, uh, what I love about this is the entrance. What an entrance these men make into the presence of the Son of God, into the presence of Jesus. There, There are no words spoken, there is no invitation, right, necessarily, although we're all invited in Christ to step into that place. There's no invitation necessarily in the text. And there's no regard for the natural order of things. The place is packed. I'm sure there were queues of people who wanted Jesus to touch them, who wanted Jesus to heal them. And these men paid no mind to any of that. Instead, they just interrupted the entire operation and they found mercy. They found grace in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 tells us this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. God. He's gracious. Amen. Can we settle it? He's gracious. Hallelujah. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hallelujah. And these men couldn't see what their faith was doing. They couldn't see on the other side of this ceiling, this roof they were breaking through, what their faith was doing. And folks, when we get confident in who Jesus is, when we get confident in his compassion, in his mercy, right? Second Corinthians um, 1, uh, 3 tells us that he's the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. When we get confident in that, we can have a faith for other people that disrupts and interrupts. A faith that disrupts the natural order. They broke in, interrupted something. They interrupted the sermon. They broke in on the arrangements. That's what happened because there was something that overflowed through them and touched the heart of God. Even though they were separated from Christ by a crowd, their faith was already touching Jesus. Their faith had already connected them to the Son of God. It was a faith that uh, disrupted, but it was a faith that interrupted the sense of timing. It was in the natural, in interruption, but in the spiritual, in the divine, it was bang on. It was bang on time. Faith makes a way. The Son of God responds to faith in our hearts. We don't have to say anything. We don't have to have it all together. The approach might look messy in the natural, but God says, yes, compassion in us moves compassion in Him. God moves when we're moved for people. When we're moved, when our compassion moves, His compassion moves. And, and, and it's, I love that the Bible describes God's compassion sort of like a bowel movement. Okay, it's sort of like everybody's like, oh no. But it does. It talks about the bowels of His compassion. 
that, it, that once they're open, they're open. <laughs> and it's the truth. God's compassion is like that. Folks, what confident, bold faith. And you and I must come boldly. Not for our needs, but for the needs of others. And what is the secret? What is the secret to this sort of confidence that the Hebrew writer talks about? It is knowing, it is standing in his compassion. It's the first attribute God wanted to show Moses in Exodus 34. He told Moses, Moses, I'm compassionate. I'm merciful. I'm slow to anger. It says in Isaiah 42 that of Jesus, a smoldering wick will he in no wise snuff or cast out. That's an amazing reality, that he's not going to turn away the smoldering wick, that he's not going to turn away the bruised reed, that I can bring that person to Jesus, not looking at the depths necessarily of their failure, but looking at the depths of his compassion, and I can stay encouraged, and I can stay passionate about bringing them for the sake of mercy. If we're going to believe for people, if we're going to endure, persevere and not lose hope for lost causes, this is the ground we have to come on. He's the God of all grace, all compassion. We all know someone who's burned their bridges, blown their last chance. Folks, this is the opposite of God helps those who help themselves. It's the opposite. Don't give up praying, speaking, sharing, loving, living out a godly example. The crowd around Jesus will always represent the reasons why we can't bring them there. Well, they've just done too much. Well, that's just the last straw. Maybe you're at capacity with that person. The Son of God always seeks to show grace and comfort to people. The undeserving. And folks, maybe you're asking in your heart, can Jesus forgive what I can't? Can he love when my love is gone? And the answer is yes. He's willing. So keep persevering, bringing that person to Jesus because there's grace at the end of the journey. And When we're fully persuaded of his compassion and his complete authority, we're free to bring people to him because God moves when we're moved for others. It doesn't matter. Listen, do you remember Matthew 8? Verse 3, Jesus comes down off the mountaintop and he sees a leper, that embodiment of sin, that picture of sin. And that leper calls out and asks for a healing. And he says, are you willing? Are you willing to touch me? Are you willing to heal me? And Jesus says, I am. I'm willing. And for the first time in history, the clean makes the unclean clean. Everybody up until that point would touch a leper and become unclean, ceremonially unclean. But Jesus touched the leper and the love and the grace of the gospel, the love of Jesus cleansed the leper. It was amazing. What a picture. Jesus was announcing something greater than sin is here. Something greater than, than sin and failure is here. My grace is here. My love is here. My life is here. Don't give up on that person. Don't turn away and give up and say it's too much. Keep bringing that person to me. And there's three ways you can bring them really quickly. One is in prayer. The other is in conversation. And the third is in example. Pray for that person. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them in prayer. Bring them in prayer. Don't stop praying for him. Bring him in conversation. 
Talk to them about the Lord. Talk to them about Jesus and bring them an example. Walk out the love of Jesus. Walk out the love of the cross. You don't know what it's doing in the lives of those people. I hope, I hope this is helping you. Do not give up on those people. Don't do it. Number two, the authority of his word. Because we can rest on what God's word, the power of God's word to do, what religion can't do to change somebody. God is a God who transforms. He's a God who takes something that's broken, something that is irredeemable, and redeems it by grace alone. God takes the things that the world casts off and he redeems them. First Corinthians tells us he takes things that are nothing. He takes the low things and the abased things and he makes them something so that he can get the glory. Isn't that something? Isn't it wonderful? So few of us were of noble birth. So few of us were anything by the world's standards. And yet Jesus Christ took us from nothing, from the miry clay, and put our feet on a rock. He gave us a name and a purpose and redeemed us from the pits. That is who he is. And it's all through the power of his word. But we need to learn to rest on the word's power to do what we can't do on our own. And I want to show you something here that I think really uh, is exciting. It says in verse 9 in Mark, Jesus asks the Pharisees, which is easier to say? your sins are forgiven, or take up your mountain walk, which is easier to say. And I think for a lot of us, we think uh, your sins are forgiven because uh, there's no way to prove they're not. I mean, <laughs> do, you know, <laughs> do you know? Or it's harder for there to be a physical manifestation of a healing. Can you imagine? That's pressure. Okay, that, 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 that's pressure. But Jesus said, Jesus did the harder thing uh, by, by, by forgiving this man. And I'm going to show you that later on. But look at this. Uh, I want to tell you this. Our confidence must be in his word as we wait for transformation to occur. So I want you to think of that person you're believing for, that person you're bringing to Jesus. I want you to think of them, some of them, maybe it's a young person, maybe it's a child of yours and they knew the Lord. They, they, they had an experience of God when they were younger. And maybe they've strayed. Maybe it's the spouse who knew the Lord at one time. And now they're walking outside of his grace, if you like, or they're walking in their own ways at the moment. Well, I want you to be encouraged that like Proverbs says, if you train a child in the way, in the way he should go, when he's old, he won't depart from it. That that foundation, that, that those professions of faith, even from those young people, when they were kids, when they were at altars at youth weekends, or, or even in kids' church, or whatever. God doesn't forget. God remembers these things. And so we have to be confident in his word. And Jesus here, what does he say? He says, uh, he forgives the man. He calls him son first. Well, I find that amazing, which means, it means belonging comes before change occurs. God gives belonging first. He calls him a son. You're a son. You belong. You, I, 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 you're, you're mine. Uh, and change flows out of that. And then he says, ultimately, that I alone can forgive this man's sin because I alone can pay for it. Okay? I can give him my mercy because I'm going to take his justice on myself at the cross. In other words, talk isn't cheap when God is speaking. For God, when he says something, it's the same as doing it. So when he speaks, it's the same as an action. That's who God is. 
So when he says, when he gives mercy, he's saying basically, all sin that happens is against me. And because I am just and merciful, I'm going to give mercy, but it's going to be because I'm going to ultimately take on the justice, the, the, the punishment of the cross on myself. And so the, he asks, what's easier? You know, this man is, gets belonging on the strength of a word from the mouth of God, not rule keeping or obedience. The man is justified in a moment. The man is justified in a moment by a word from God's mouth. Which is easier, to justify a soul with a word or heal a body? And this is what Jesus is saying. What's easier? And I want to show you why you can trust in God's word and why you can trust in God's grace and in that word now. I want you to think about currency for a second. I want you to think about money, okay? And usually money is backed by a hard asset, okay? Usually gold in order to preserve its value. So the government issuing currency ties the value of the amount uh, ties the value to the amount of gold it possesses, right? Hence the desire for gold reserves. So um, anybody who understands about finance, you understand this, that the strength of a currency is based on the gold that backs it, right? Make sense? Yeah? And so since gold was the most durable of all metals, it had the most staying power, right? And so God, Jesus is saying this, there can be no mercy without justice, only the Son of God could pardon sin because all sin is against him. And he satisfied the justice of God on the cross so that we could receive and see backed by the justice of the cross. Do you see what's going on here? Grace has a bloody standard, much better than silver, more precious than silver or gold. Okay? And religion or self-effort that person that you're telling that you've got to clean your life up. You need to do this and do that. You need to get this straight and get that straight. It's a currency without backing. It's a currency without power. Human strength will fail. If you put that sort of weight on somebody coming back to Christ, it will, they'll buckle under it. And the Pharisees and scribes were offended because Jesus was putting his word over their religion saying he could do in a moment with a word what their efforts couldn't achieve in a lifetime. That's, that he was elevating the authority of his words, that you can have a confidence in it. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, it's the same as him doing it. What are the promises that he's spoken over your life and the life of that person you're bringing to him? You can stand in them because it's a currency backed by blood. That blood will never lose its power. That blood will never lose its efficacious nature. That blood will, the blood of Jesus will always be the blood of Jesus. And so what he says out of his mouth, it's backed up. It's currency. It's what God accepts. It's the only thing God accepts. First Peter 1.18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that, uh, uh, like that of a lamb without a blemish or a spot. We can rest in this grace, this word, because it's backed by something that cannot break.
It cannot break. His promises change people. The word of God is how we partake in the divine nature. The word is at work in the life of that person. Stay encouraged. Stay confident. The word of his grace will transform that person. He's working. And finally, the extent of his healing. We need to see, we can't be limited in our view of his grace or his word or the extent of his healing because we need to see the bigger picture and have the right expectation. The first thing he said to the man was, son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, if I was one of those four men and I'd gone to the trouble of uh, taking the roof off a house to, to drop down a cripple, um, a friend uh, uh, who was paralyzed, I would want his legs healed. I'd feel shortchanged. What do you mean his sins are forgiven? I, I did not. I'm going to have to pay for this. I did. Do you know? But yet Jesus says, no, the real issue, the real issue, the real sickness, the real malady, the real problem is sin. It's sin. The real problem is sin. It's what truly cripples mankind. And in a way, like I said before, we're all, we're all paralyzed by it until we meet him. We're all paralyzed by it until he speaks and calls us son and we stand up in his grace. He can cleanse the soul with a word, but his grace doesn't stop there. Isn't that amazing? Spiritual renewal manifests in the natural eventually. Jesus wants to heal your soul. And once your soul is right, once you are in right standing with God, then everything else in your life will follow suit. Jesus, Jesus will always go for the real issue. You may want that person's addictions gone in an instant. You may want his attitudes or her attitudes to change, behaviours to change overnight. But if you actually look at that word rise that Jesus uses when he actually eventually heals that person physically, it's the same word that's used in the Gospel of Mark for resurrection when Jesus rose from the dead. So it's resurrection life that's happening here. It's resurrection life that's occurring. That's what God wants to do. So when Jesus wants you to walk in abundant life, he begins by making your soul right, by touching you in such a way, by speaking in such a way that you come from death to life, that you come into redempt, you, you come into right state before God. So don't be surprised, folks, when that person that you bring to Jesus, when Jesus deals with the sin issue first. So we may want that physical result. We may want that quick turnaround in the natural. But the healing of forgiveness, being right with God, is what renews the soul, in which time renews the body. And I love that hymn, Before the Throne of God Above. Amen. Before the Throne of God Above, uh, I have a strong and perfect plea, great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. But there's a part that says, here in the love of Christ I stand. And I love that. Who is this man who would forgive me, would show me such lavish grace in an instant? Who is this man who would pay for my sins on a cross so that I could receive mercy by just a word from his mouth? Who is this man who would pay the great price at the tree, at the cross of Calvary, so that I could have the grace to stand in resurrection life. 
Here in the love of God I stand. And you know, it's the love that I think for that man, for those of us who are standing now supernaturally. Some of us have no business standing. I don't know if you realize. Some of us, when he found us on our mat, paralyzed in our sin, there was no standing. There was no getting up from that addiction. There was no getting up from that lifestyle, from that pattern of behavior. And he lavished his love on us. And now we're standing supernaturally, walking out a life we've got no business walking because the Son of God chose not just to heal our body, but to heal our spirit, to heal who we really are. Thank God he didn't just give us some temporary fix Thank God some of us are wondering why God hasn't, hasn't, hasn't given us that financial breakthrough yet. Hasn't given us that, that whatever temporal breakthrough we're looking for. We need to remember. We need to remember. No, I may not get that this side of eternity, but my eternity is secure. Hallelujah. Now, I may not have a guarantee for tomorrow, but I have a guarantee. My, t- my eternity is locked up in the love of the Son of God because something is gripping me tighter than this thing that used to paralyze me. The love of Jesus is gripping me tighter than what used to hold me down on my mat. And now I can pick it up and I can walk. In Second Samuel 9, there's a cripple whose name's Mephibosheth. He's the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. And the Bible says, and I think it's 2 Samuel 5, when the word, the news of, of, of um, Saul and Jonathan's death reached Mephibosheth and his wet nurse, she picked him up to run for their lives. In those days, he would have been murdered because the king would have no rival and he now belonged to a, a family that would have been a rival uh, to David. And so she, she ran and she fell and he was, she fell on his legs and he was crippled. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 9, once David had ascended to the throne in Jerusalem, he said, is there anyone left in Saul's house with whom I might show mercy, kindness? The word in Hebrew is chesed. It means grace. Who can I show grace to on account of Jonathan? Because David and Jonathan had made a covenant. They'd promised, they'd covenanted together. So on the basis of a pre-existent covenant agreement, David was looking to show mercy on an undeserving person. And Ziba, a servant of David, said, well, there is Mephibosheth, a cripple. And so in essence, Ziba brings the crippled Mephibosheth to to David, a picture of Christ. And David does what? He takes Mephibosheth and he puts him at his table where he'll eat like a son. Son, your sins are forgiven you. You'll sit at my table, a table that you've got no right to sit at. And at that table, well, you might, you may, your legs may still be crippled, but they're covered under the table of my grace and mercy. You're not going to see them as you enjoy a meal at my table as a son. That's the gospel, folks. That's what he does to all of us. At one stage, we were all brought to the feet of Jesus. This way, we all were. And this is an amazing picture of the gospel, folks. We need to be excited by grace again. In Isaiah 64, Isaiah, looking at the state of northern Israel, lamenting at the state of northern Israel, makes a plea. He says, oh, God, that you would burst from heaven or rend the heavens and come down. What a thing to say. 
He's looking at the brokenness of, of northern Israel. He's looking at the paralysis of his people. And he just calls out, God, would you, in an act of compassion, break through heaven's ceiling and come down that the mountains would tremble at your presence. And folks at the cross, God rend the heavens. When Jesus came down, that incarnation, it was the act of the ultimate act of compassion and mercy. God looked down on a broken world and his compassion burst the seams of heaven itself. And Jesus came down to earth to us so that we can have freedom of access to believe without limitation that he's gracious, that his word has ultimate authority, and that when he touches and when he heals, it is a definitive healing, not just for today, but for eternity. He did it at the cross. He burst the seams of this world we live in because his compassion wouldn't allow him watch for a second longer the brokenness of people. He made a way. He made a way so that all we have to do is lift the, break the false ceilings in our thinking. That's all we have to do. All we have to do is agree in our thinking with what he says about himself and his word. Because the heavens aren't as brass anymore. He broke through the brass for us. Broke through the ultimate boundaries of sin and death and the grave. And the ultimate act of compassion, redeeming love, came down. Hallelujah. I want to leave you with a quote by Joni Erickson Tada. She's a quadriplegic, used of God, mightily used of God. That's an amazing quote. I'd like to leave it with you. I hope in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven. With my new glorified body, I will stand up on resurrected legs and I will be next to the Lord Jesus. And I will feel those nail prints in his hands and I will say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know I meant it because he will recognize me from the inner sanctum of sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. He will see that I was one who identified with him in the sharing of his sufferings, so my gratitude won't be hollow. And I will say, Lord Jesus, do you see, what that, wheel, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. When, when you put me in it, it was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think I will ever have known the glory of your grace if not for the weakness of that chair. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Now, if you like, you can send that thing off to hell. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. I really do. I really do. I really do. His grace is limitless. His word has all authority and power to transform lives, and it's already working. Hallelujah. Amen. And when he heals, he touches the parts that need to be touched and restores what needs to be restored. And in time, we'll see the healing of the cross, what happened in the spiritual, manifest in the natural. So keep believing for those people. Bring them to Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. 
thank you for the work, Lord. When you went to that tree and you took your sins, our sins, Lord, you carried our cross and you died for us, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that all power and all authority belongs to you, God. And I just want to lift up people tonight to you, Lord. I'm thinking of wayward sons, wayward daughters. Lord, I'm thinking about spouses whose hearts have gone cold, Lord, towards you. Lord, I'm thinking about those people, Lord Jesus. And Lord, who, who, how many times, Lord, have, have we tried to press through the crowd to, to get to you, Lord? But all those reasons, Lord, Lord, why we, why, why we shouldn't endure, Lord, maybe they've gotten too much, Lord, and maybe we, we, we just... We've pulled back, Lord, from trying. But Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we would go onto the reef, Lord, and elevate our perspective, Lord. Because when life gets too crowded, help us elevate our perspective and see from heaven's viewpoint, Lord, the depths of your mercy, what you've done for us. And let us see that that pathway is clear and that, Lord, it's always, it's never an intrusion. And, Lord, it's always a welcome interruption. And, Lord, we don't have to have it all together. And those people don't have to have it all together. And, Lord, even when words fail us, you are aggressive in your grace towards us. Thank you that even when words fail us, you're looking for ways to grant grace because that is who you are. Lord, I pray that this would be the year that people turn back to you. Let this be the year that faith is rewarded, that those who've labored for a long time silently in faith, Lord, would see those paralyzed, Lord, by sin and brokenness in their lives, restored and healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.